Hey there, Quajo here. And if you haven't heard my voice, I'm the new host of the Art of Online Business. Quick update on my new offer. I did not expect the initial launch spots to sell out so fast. I'm talking about Facebook ad setup to success, which is one-on-one -on -one Facebook ads coaching for the driven course creator from me, three Zoom calls within a month and unlimited support in between so that you can run your lead generation campaigns, your launch campaigns, your SLO, self-liquidating offer funnels, exactly like I would, getting all my tips and tricks and strategies plus just unlimited support inside of Slack or Voxer or one lady's even doing it from inside of Messenger with screen recordings, Loom recordings, this sort of thing, questions. This is what I'm doing, but all those limited spots that at the initial launch price, they are gone. And I just wanted to explain that out of integrity to the people who took those first spots, um, the price has gone up and there are one, there's one spot maybe two if I do some scheduling jujitsu for May, otherwise we're booking into June. You can click on the link in the description below to find out more, or you can go to theartofonlinebusiness.com forward slash call if you need that kind of one-on-one -on -one Facebook help. All right, back to the episode. This is the show where I bring you the best tips, tactics, and strategies for using paid traffic to grow your business on autopilot. You also hear what's working and not working right now from the top minds in online marketing so that you can get more leads and sales every day without having to empty your wallet in the process. All right, let's jump into it. Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Art of Paid Traffic podcast. Rick Morty here. I am fired up today. This is episode number 127. Hope this finds you well, whatever you're up to. Thank you so much for coming to hang out with me today. Really appreciate it. Today on the show, I've got my friend Annette Stepanian, and she's joining me on the show to talk about the legal side of paid traffic and running your business. Annette is an attorney and she specializes in working with entrepreneurs and I asked her to come on because this is one of those topics that not a lot of people talk about. Yet it's so important to know as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as somebody who creates programs or products, if you run paid traffic like Facebook ads, etc. It's not the sexiest of topics I realize, but too often the importance of, you know, the whole legal side of stuff pops up when it's too late and you're in a bind. So that's my goal here for you today to educate and share the types of things that you should be thinking about in your paid traffic and in running your business. So we dive into what you need to think about from a legal perspective when you're running paid traffic. And for example, why just abiding by Facebook's ad policies isn't enough. Annette shares how not to use testimonials in your business so you can make sure that you're staying on the good side of the law. We talk about the difference between a privacy policy and terms of service, why you need them and where to get them. Annette dives into the difference between trademarking and copywriting and how they can benefit you with your business and programs and products that you're creating, etc. Annette breaks down the difference between a sole proprietor an LLC, a corporation, and the pros and cons of each. This is something specifically that, as you're going to hear today, that I did not do a very good job in my business. It took me way too long to figure this specific thing out in the business. And you know that's not something I'm super happy about. It's all straightened away now and we're good. But this is something that I... 
I mean, frankly, ignored for a long time. I got some poor advice on it. We're going to talk about that a little bit here today. And Annette will break down each one of these different business types and the pros and cons of each and everything like that. And we also dive into the top questions that you should ask before hiring a lawyer if that's something that you decide to do. So she gives you the top questions to ask when you're having that conversation and when you're looking for a lawyer. Super important episode here talking about all this legal stuff. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Annette Stepanian. Annette, welcome to the Art of Paid Traffic. How are you? I am fantastic. Thanks so much for having me, Rick. Absolutely. I'm really excited to have you on here because this is one of the... We were just talking about before we hit the record button here, and this is sort of one of those unsexy topics to talk about on... Uh, well, pretty much sort of in general. Anything. Yeah. yeah. Yet, <laughs> it's so critical to understand what we're going to be talking about here today. And that's the whole legal side of paid traffic and making sure that we're covered on the legality side from running our business and so forth. So before we get into it, or as we get into into that. Let us know who you are and and what you've been up to and what you're doing today in your business. Yeah, absolutely. My name is Annette Stepanian and I'm a lawyer and I work mostly with creatives and entrepreneurs and really helping them understand the legal side of their business. Because as you mentioned, it is not a sexy topic and people don't want to think about it, but it's super important. And, you know, I was working at a big law firm a few years ago, living the dream, but just was not happy with the work that I was doing. So long story short, I left my job, I started my own creative business, and then it evolved into what I do today. Yeah. So basically, I just really found that there was a real need for creatives and entrepreneurs to have access to legal advice that was affordable, but also really relatable. I found that people felt really intimidated talking to lawyers and they felt like some lawyers didn't really understand what they did, especially the world that you and I live in. It's Mm -hmm. so new and they just needed that legal advice. So that's really what I do. I kind of combine that kind of more creative entrepreneurial spirit that I have with this legal knowledge that I have. Got it. Okay. Well, you just answered my question there. And I was wondering like what made you make the jump, you know, because as you know, I made the jump from corporate world at the end of or in the fall of 2012 to start my own thing. And I'd had that itch for a couple of years. What was that sort of itch for you that you made you make that jump from, you know, from the quote unquote corporate world of being an attorney into entrepreneurship? I have to be honest, it was a process. I think it was a long time coming, but it was February 14 of 2012, I believe. I should know that date, but I got a raise and the partner walked into my office, handed me a check and a letter saying I was getting a raise and she left the office and I started bawling. And I was like, this isn't normal. You know, people should be excited to be getting a raise. And I think it just solidified for me that no amount of money was going to make the fact that I wasn't happy doing what I was doing. Okay. And so that really started the process of me figuring out, okay, I need to make a change. So that's a whole other episode right there. (laughs) No, I love that because a lot of people ask me and when we're recording this, I did some webinars this week for my new program. And one of the people asked me a question that I had actually not received in quite a while. They were asking about, you know, what was that process like when I left the corporate world? And, you know, when did it, when did it feel right? And, And what was the mindset behind that? And you're right, like this could be a whole other topic here on a whole other episode. But I always find that interesting when people make that jump from the corporate world into entrepreneurship and sort of what that journey is like. So that was, you said, 2012? 2012, yeah. 2012. 2012, yeah. Okay. So that was a few years ago. And you said you focus on sort of creative entrepreneurs. What does that mean exactly? So these are a lot of people who are 
essentially they have some sort of creative spirit behind what they do. So you think wedding planners, you think graphic designers, photographers, videographers, you know, but it, it runs the gamut to coaches and consultants and everything. But people who are really passionate about the work that they do, and they're usually kind of like one person shops and entrepreneurs. And so they don't always have access to resources, for example, legal information. Mm-hmm. So that's really, I just really feel like those people need it the most. And oftentimes, because they don't have the access or the knowledge, they often get taken advantage of. So that's what I try and come in through educating them at a minimum, just so at least they have that background. So when they are ready to talk to a lawyer, they have some background information that they could go into that conversation with. Got it. Got it. You know, I, I know for me, you know, when I left the corporate world, again, same year, 2012, as you did, I did not, and we've talked about this before, I did not even approach, I didn't even think about the whole legal side yeah. <laughs> for literally at least two years into the business. And when I say two years into the business, I don't mean from when I left the corporate world because I'd struggled for the first 15 yeah. months or so. And then things started to take off. And I actually called that. That's when the business started to be created in January 2014. But it was really sort of the end of, I'm embarrassed to say, the end of 2015. So almost two full years where I didn't even think about the whole legal side, not only from, you know, I was running a lot of paid traffic and, and Facebook ads, but just from like my business side and setting the business up correctly and, and all that sort of thing. So what are, I want to start with the paid traffic side because, you know, you just mentioned coaches and, and consultants and graphic designers and wedding planners and all that sort of thing. You know, all those types of people listen to the show here. And, you know, a lot of them do run Facebook advertising, for example, to grow their business. But yet, as we've been talking about, the legal side is not something necessarily that people really think about. So if we're running paid traffic, you know, we get into like privacy policies and terms and conditions and stuff like that. What are some of those things that, that from a legal perspective that we might not be thinking about, but yet are really, really critical? Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing that I see when I'm on my Facebook and I see ads being promoted to me is the way that you make your claims, right? I mean, it's advertising. So we want to grab people's attention. We want to make these kind of outlandish claims for people to click on through or to sign up for our webinars. And I really encourage people to do kind of a gut check and kind of scale it back a bit. Because it's really important for you to make sure that the claims that you're making, that your product or service is going to deliver to a potential consumer, they have to be truthful and they can't be misleading. (laughs) And that's a whole, I mean, area of law. But the reality is, it's in the simple terms, is just don't lie and don't BS too much (laughs) because that could get you into trouble with the FTC. So that's one thing is I would always do a gut check. If you can't substantiate your claims, if you're saying, you know, you take this course and you'll skyrocket your profits, you know, to tenfold. Mm -hmm. If you can't substantiate that claim, you can't say it. You have to have that evidence to back it up. Another thing that I see coming up with paid advertising is the use of testimonials and consumer kind of endorsements and things like that. You need to be disclosing if you are paying these testimony, you know, these consumers to make those statements that Mm -hmm. needs to be disclosed. And the testimonials also have to really represent the average user experience. So if you have, let's say, 100 people who take your course, one person got these amazing results, but nine 
99% of them, you know, they didn't, you can't really just highlight and carve out that one anomaly and Mm. use that to promote your course. It really has to reflect the general consumer experience. So a lot of it is common sense. (laughs) And I think most people, when you kind of, you know, when you're pushing the lines and when you feel that you need to kind of take it back a notch. Yeah, I think that's real. I'm so glad you bring that up, especially about from like the claims and stuff like that, because not only is it against Facebook's ad policies that you can't, you have, you cannot make, you know, claims like you'll make $3,000 in the next 30 days or you'll lose 10 pounds in seven days or that sort of thing. You got to be really careful from a legal perspective. And, you know, my ears perked up when you said FTC, you know, yeah. <laughs> when, like that stuff gets scary. And so, you know, like I said, yes, you got to be aware of what Facebook's ad policies are. And for anybody running Facebook advertising, you've got to make sure that you're referencing Facebook's policies on a regular basis because they update things so often. But then thinking about what Annette's talking about here from a legal perspective, like you got to be really careful from making these claims from an FTC sort of perspective. And then I also like talking about testimonials. You know, what I just took a note here that you need to represent the average user experience. And I'm so glad that you bring that up. What about for like privacy policies and like terms and conditions and so forth? Absolutely. So can I just back up one second? I just want to make a distinction about what you said with the Facebook terms of service. So it is true that you need to comply with whatever ad platform you're using. You need to comply with their terms of service and make sure you're in compliance with what they say. So if they have certain requirements, you need to comply with it. But that compliance with, let's say, Facebook's terms of service is not going to excuse you from something if you're in violation of an FTC guideline, for example. So that's just you're playing by the rules of Facebook's games, but just complying with Facebook's terms isn't doesn't cover you legally Mm. in other respects. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm just thinking here, like, (laughs) you just, it just, it's so good to know this stuff. Like I said, this, like we talked about before, like, this is not the sexy stuff, but yet it's so, it's so critical. And, And you and I talk a lot about this before where this is the stuff that most people don't think about until it's too late. Yeah, and, unfortunately, and, and, you know, and you and yeah, it is. And because and, then you hear start hearing the horror stories and it's like, all right, well, if you just took a few steps in the very beginning to make sure that you're covered and taking care of yourself, you wouldn't find yourself in this position. So hopefully that's what this episode is providing for people. So privacy policies and like terms and conditions and that sort of thing. Yes. So privacy policies in general, anytime that you are collecting consumer information, so it's called personally identifiable information. So what does that mean? It can mean something as obvious as your name and email. It can be credit card information. It could be a Facebook tracking pixel. It could be a Google Analytics code. Anything that really tracks when a visitor comes onto your website and you're tracking any data that they basically where they go, what pages they visit. You have to have a privacy policy. And so nowadays, I can't imagine anybody who is not somehow tracking personally identifiable information. And so the purpose of a privacy policy, and in fact, California's standards are probably the strictest (laughs) when it comes to privacy policy. (laughs) Yeah. So basically require that you have to have a privacy policy. It needs to be, you know, easily found. So usually in the footer of your website is fine. It needs to disclose what kind of information you're collecting and what you're doing with that information. So that you need to have and you need to keep it updated. And if you make significant changes to your privacy policy, you need to inform 
your website visitors about those changes. So you know how every once in a while you'll get an email from some service that you subscribe to, like we've made changes to our privacy policy. So that's what they're trying to do there is to keep you up to date. On that, what does significant changes mean? Because I've always wondered about that. So significant changes will be like the type of information that you're collecting and what you're doing with that information. So if you're taking that information and you're sharing it with a third party service, that needs to be shared. People need to know how their information is being utilized. So that would be something that's significant. Got it. Got it. Okay. Okay. And then terms of service, I like to think of those as kind of like the rules and procedures or the policies and procedures for what someone can expect when they come onto your website. So let's say when you invite somebody into your home, you might have certain rules about what they need to do. Like maybe they can't smoke in your house or they have to take off their shoes or whatever, right? It's the same thing with your website. So when a visitor comes onto your website, you have rules. So you might have rules about how people can use your content. You know, maybe you don't want people to be sharing your content without your written permission. Maybe you have certain rules about refunds or things like that. You put all of those things in a terms of service and it's the more you can put more information in there and the more obvious you make it, the better because the idea being that this person is then on notice. It's kind of like a contract that they enter into mm. when they come to your website. Can you give me an example? I mean, obviously not like <laughs> not an example of a whole terms of service, but just like something that you might find within a terms of service. I'm just trying to trying to be really, really clear on distinguishing the difference between privacy policy and terms of service. Yeah. So terms of service will include, for example, let's say a disclaimer, right? So that might be, let's say you're giving out a lot of advice, like financial advice. So that's where you might want to include a disclaimer like, hey, I'm giving out this advice, but obviously always consult, you know, somebody like a financial consultant who's aware of your circumstances and can give you specific. I'm not I'm not phrasing that really well. I'm sorry, but you know what I mean? Like you put a disclaimer in there to say that, you know, kind of use this at your own discretion. Like I said, an intellectual property clause. So you want to note that how do you treat the intellectual property that's on your website? So, for example, if you don't care if people come and they share your content as long as they credit you for it, then you can put that in there. Or let's say you don't want anybody doing that. You put that in there and you say, hey, you can't use this information without our prior written permission. You know, we talked about refunds you could put in there maybe, and it could be, let's say you're a product company, product-based company. Then you put, you know, maybe your shipping policies in there, your return policies, your what happens in the event that you ship something out and it gets lost, you know, who's liable for that? So it's really just kind of like your rules that govern your website when somebody comes into your quote unquote online store. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And these are links too that you do want to think about having, not think about, you've got to have on your landing pages as well. So if people are, you know, if we're running, if we're running Facebook advertising, for example, it's actually part of Facebook's ad policies. And <laughs> Annette, you're talking about the legal side and I, my mind tends to go to the ad policy side uh, <laughs> because people are always asking about that. You know, you've got to be linking if you're collecting, just as Annette was talking about there, guys, is if you're collecting information, if you're as far as like name and email or whatever, if phone number or whatever it might be, you've got to link to a privacy policy on your landing page there. And that's actually part of Facebook's ad policies. You've got to give people the opportunity to click away from the landing page also. And you know, we might think, well, there's a back button in our browser. 
that's not enough. They actually have to give people more of an opportunity to do that. And, you know, a simple link out to your website is enough, you know, and down the bottom of the page, just kind of like what Annette's talking about here is sufficient. So we've, you know, privacy policies, terms of service, is there, are there any other sort of, I don't want to call it a document, but are there any other, what do you call that? What do you call this? <laughs> I'm trying to think of the word. I'm like, I don't even know what the word is. Any other legal jargon you might jargon, need? Jargon, mumbo jumbo. Yeah. Is there other, mumbo jumbo. Yeah. Are we missing anything right there? I mean, I think the biggest in, in the context of FTC and claims and all that stuff is just disclosures and all that stuff, you know? So you see a lot now, which I'm really happy to see, for instance, people who are affiliates or they are getting paid to promote a product. Mm. You'll see them, you know, in their Instagram comment or in their Twitter comment they'll make or post, they'll say, you know, hashtag sponsored post or hashtag ad. So that's another one of the things that you need to disclose because because that's going to impact a consumer's decision on whether or not they want to buy that product. So if I come to Rick and I know Rick is talking about how great, you know, this widget is, but then I find out, well, he's getting paid to talk about it. Well, that's going to impact whether or not I really believe, okay, does Rick really think widget is this widget is great or is it because he's getting paid? Yeah. So you have to disclose that. And you can't bury that in the terms of service. It has to be what's called clear and conspicuous. And that could, depending on the platform you use, it could mean different things. But the idea is it has to be obvious. So sometimes, let's say, I'll say, if you have a blog post, you know, put a little asterisk. And in the bottom of that blog post, you could say, hey, I'm getting compensated for this product or this is a sponsored post or you have to make it really obvious or in the example of these tweets you know you put hashtag ad hashtag sponsored post or something to let people know Mm. so that's one thing i think people have been missing and haven't been doing but i'm seeing more and more people doing it now which makes me really happy that's good yeah i'm sure sure that it does (laughs) yeah i just sit there at night and i go through instagram and i'm like yay people are using you just start smiling <laughs> so when it comes to these <laughs> privacy policy in terms of service, you know, one question I get all the time is, you know, where do I find these? Because this is these are things that, you know, it's not really meant to go to somebody else's website, look at their privacy policy, yeah. copy and then paste onto your own website. So what is the I know we're going to talk about it at the very end. You've got some resources that people can check out and stuff like that. But what is the deal there? What, you know, if somebody doesn't have a privacy policy and, you know, after hearing this is like, holy cow, okay, I need to get this in place. What's the best way of going about doing that? Yeah, you got to love that bootstrapped entrepreneur who's like, let me just go to Google's privacy policy Mm -hmm. and they have really smart lawyers and let me just copy that and put it on (laughs) mine. (laughs) So you can go about it a lot of different ways. Obviously, you can hire a lawyer to draft them for you. And so they're, you know, someone who has experience with this. So they're up to date on the privacy policies. There are also a lot of different templates available online. So for instance, I offer those on my website. Those are probably the best ways to go about them is really to have it drafted by somebody who understands these and kind of knows where and how to draft the language that needs to be in there. So Mm -hmm. I always hesitate to say, yeah, 
Google does have really smart lawyers, but you know, every business is different and you can't just say, well, okay, well, if Google does it this way, it must be okay. So you, you don't want to do it that way. And the reality is you're not a lawyer. You might not understand something. You might miss something. So leave that work to the lawyers and you go on and you focus on what you do best, which is teaching or coaching or whatever it is you do. Yeah. Because you might be copying, you know, a privacy, let's just say a privacy policy or terms of service from somebody else. And then you might be completely fine. And then God forbid something happens and, you know, from a legal perspective, and then there's a reference to that. And then you find something in there that's like completely irrelevant to you and your business. But yet you didn't know that just because you copied and pasted it from somebody else. And so it's always good. This is another example of, look, if you just do a little bit of work up front to protect yourself up front, you know, that will, that will take care of you down the, uh, down the road there. So we've talked about, you know, making claims and being really careful about that, using testimonials, uh, again, being careful about that, privacy policies, terms of service and that sort of thing. And not only on your website, making sure that you're covered, but on your landing pages and and the copy in your ads and so forth. What about, sorry, were you going to add something there? How did you know that? What? How did you know? I was about, I was about to add something. <laughs> Annette, I am so in tune to oh. when I talk to people. <laughs> no, I actually, I actually heard, I heard you inhale. So I was like, Ooh, is she going to say something? So That's you have so the funny. floor. I guess, I guess I'm a deep breather. Okay. <laughs> so I was going to say, <laughs> so for your online course, I think it's also helpful to have a terms of service that's separate and apart from the terms of service mm. that you have from your website. Why is that? Because your, your online course is its own product that might have its own rules, right? Right? So you might have a certain refund policy for this specific course. You know, I know it's really popular now for people to say, I'm not going to give a money back guarantee right away. Like they're going to have to show me that they've done the work. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So you want to have something like that that's very specific to your course outline because it's it might vary. Let's say you have 10 different courses. The refund policies might be different. The intellectual properties stuff might be different. So you want to carve out those documents as well. So more legal mumbo jumbo for you to think about. Okay, cool. No, that's... Uh, and I'm like mentally checking off here as you're talking about it. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm covered there. I got that. I got that. Good. Okay, good. cool. Well, as you were talking there, it sort of it made me think about, you know, uh, we can we can go in a lot of different directions here. And there are a few other topics that I want to definitely make sure that we cover. And when you mentioned the course, it made me think about. So trademarking and copywriting. What's the difference between those two things? Because you and I have talked about that before because I've never been... I've not been clear about the clear distinction between the two. So what is the distinction? And then how might we want to consider the opportunity or the possibility of trademarking and copywriting when we're working, whether it's our course or, you know, the products that we're creating or just in the business in general? Okay, great question. I love talking about this stuff. So awesome. Okay, so copyrights and trademarks, they often do get confused, but they're actually separately distinct things. And it's really easy to understand. So trademarks, I like to think of them as the brand elements. So this is your logo, your slogan, your brand name. A great example is Nike, right? Nike is the brand name, the swoosh is the logo, and just do it is the slogan. So these are the things that really set your specific good or service apart from others in the marketplace. 
copyrights are more like original works of authorship that demonstrate some element of creativity. So what does that mean? That can mean, you know, written work, photography, designs, sculptures, music, audiovisual work. So really things that are creative. You know, it, it, it's not just an idea that you have. So it's not just an, like a conversation that, Rick, you and I might have about a book I want to write one day. It's when it's that book is actually written. That could technically be protected by copyright. Hmm, now, okay. both copyright and trademarks technically have those protections the minute that you create them. So the minute you take that picture of the Eiffel Tower, you know, it's protected by copyright law in theory. Also with trademarks, if you, so long as you are the first person to use that mark in connection with that good or service out in the marketplace, you can claim what's called common law trademark rights. And so that's all good and dandy. However, I really recommend if it is an, it's an asset, right? So if you have a certain work, so you have invested a lot in a course that is a really big part of your business, I recommend getting that registered with the U.S. Copyright Office, particularly with copyrights, it's not that expensive to do so. The reason why I recommend it is once it is officially registered, it provides you a lot more, I, let's just say, benefits. And it makes it a lot easier for you to enforce your copyright against people who infringe on it. Got so that's to me, is a no-brainer. Trademarks can be a little expensive for folks, especially as they're starting out. And so that you might want to kind of wait and see to see, is this really an asset that you want to continue investing in? But same is true with trademarks. If you register your trademark, it gives you a certain few benefits, such as it creates a presumption that you are the rightful owner. So it makes it easier for you to Basically, if someone comes down later and says, you know, hey, this is my mark, the burden is on them to prove that they were the rightful owner of that trademark. So I don't know if that, I, I totally lost you there. No, no, but, no. no. Okay. I, I, I was going to ask you because you mentioned like copywriting like a course or a program, for example, that you create and you mentioned that, you know, it's more accessible from a price standpoint. What are we talking about like range wise, like for it to cost a, all right, we've created a new course, we're going to copyright that. Yeah. So depending, it varies, but it's anywhere from like $35 to maybe a hundred dollars, like the filing fee. It's not expensive. Yeah. And so to me, it's like a no brainer. It's insurance. And if you want to hire a lawyer to do it, you know, add on a few hundred dollars on top of that, but it's really not that expensive. I'm sure just selling the, you know, one or two copies of that course, it'll pay for itself. Trademarks can be a little bit more expensive. It can range anywhere for per mark. So let's say you have a brand name and you have a logo. So that's, those are two marks and then per class. So you have to pick basically what class of goods or services your mark relates to. So let's say you have one class of service just to make it simple. So you have two marks for one class of service each. That's two filing fees. So that starts at around 275 and can go up to about in the 300s. So that's times two. So I can't do math. That's like $600 right okay. there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then if you obviously if you pay a lawyer to do it, you have to factor in the lawyer fees as well. So you can do it yourself. It's you can like just grab the files. I mean, there's, there's a process there. It's I know this is a little bit there's a few steps that you have to take. But is this something that you conceivably could do for your do yourself? Or is this, you know, and take your take your lawyer hat off as somebody who would do this for yeah. a, just for a second. Is this something totally. that someone would have to get a lawyer for? No, you don't have to get a lawyer to do it, okay. which is awesome. Now you I'm not putting my lawyer hat on, but <laughs> having filed these, 
there's not, I mean, it's the government, right? And so if you've tried to ever do anything with the government, it is not the most user-friendly experience uh-huh. <laughs> in terms of figuring out what to do. And so I think just if, unless you're going to be filing a lot of these and you just want to learn or you just have, I don't know, you like to nerd out on this stuff, I think it's helpful in terms of just where you want to spend your time. There is a learning curve with just even how to file this stuff and like what to select and things like that. So I don't know if it's the best use of your time, but you don't need a lawyer to do it. Like it's not like a condition that only a lawyer can file this. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I want to kind of shift into now, and this is something that, you know, I didn't address in my business, as I mentioned earlier for like, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say like two years. What about like sole proprietor, like setting our business up? Yeah. Sole proprietorship, LLC, S Corp, all this other stuff. And I know S Corp is more sort of on the tax side of things, but give us sort of the difference or the different options there that people have and, you know, sort of the process for setting those things up and, and who, you know, what, which one of those levels, I guess you call it, or the business type, I should say, would be right for specific situations. Okay, so it's a buffet. (laughs) You got your sole proprietorship, you have your partnership, you have an LLC, and then you have a corporation. And within a corporation, you have an S Corp or C Corp, which basically is the designation of how you get taxed. Everybody wants to become an LLC. I get it. It just sounds sexy. It makes you feel official. Wait, so you're, but, are you saying that everyone thinks they want to do it? Or, yeah. or you're saying like, yes, everyone wants to do this. Every, no, everybody is always like, I need to be, oh, I, I'm okay, starting okay. business. I need to become an LLC, <laughs> okay. right? It's like the first thing. It's like, I need to get the domain and I need to, you know, get the social media handles. I need to become an LLC. Like mm-hmm. in their minds, they feel like they're official yeah. when they have those, but it's not the reality. So becoming an LLC, I always say, you don't need to rush into becoming an LLC if it doesn't work for you. I think especially if you're just starting out and you don't know if you're going to be doing this in the long run, you might want to be running as a sole proprietor for a while. But let's first, it has to work for you in your circumstances. So a sole proprietor basically means that you and the business are one and the same. So any risk or liability that the business incurs, you as the business owner, it's really your liability. So if the business gets sued because they didn't pay on certain contracts, it's you that is liable and on the hook for it at the end of the day. Now, The reason why people like becoming an LLC is that technically an LLC is a separate entity and it protects you against this personal liability. So the idea, there are some exceptions, but generally speaking, the LLC is the one who's going to be liable for any business losses or liabilities. The problem with becoming an LLC right away, especially in California, is that it can be expensive for people. I was just going to say, it's expensive. (laughs) It's expensive. Some states aren't. So that's why I say look into your state, because in some states, it's very inexpensive to set up and it's very inexpensive to maintain. In California, it's not that expensive to set up. It's I think the filing fee is about seventy five dollars. It's under one hundred dollars. And it's to maintain it. You have to pay currently eight hundred dollars a year in taxes minimum. And then depending on your income, the revenue of the LLC, it might change. That could be very cost prohibitive for people. So that's why I say if your risks don't seem like a lot or you can maybe minimize some of those risks by getting really good insurance, maybe it makes sense to run as a sole proprietor plus insurance for a while until you become an LLC. 
Now, some other things to think about is if you are going into this business and you're planning to bring on investors, you're planning to sell it off, you know, you're planning to get it to a certain point and then just like exit strategy, get out. Well, then you need to become an entity other than a sole proprietorship because you can't, in theory, in our society, sell people. (laughs) So you can't sell a sole proprietorship in and of itself. You have to sell that entity. So those are some things that you need to be considering. But it really boils down to the risk that you see for yourself. It boils down to the cost for setting up that entity and and what that looks like for you. And then your long-term plans for your business. And know that if you start as one, you can always change to another. So as your business evolves, you can move around. And also the tax consequences. I forgot to mention that. This is why having a great team is important because have a CPA or tax advisor on your team to look at your tax situation because there might be certain entities that work better for you from a tax perspective than others. So um, a sole proprietorship, you and the business are one and the same. So your business losses and profits get reported on your own personal income tax returns. So in contrast, a corporation, a corporation is a separate entity. So the corporation gets tax taxed separately, and then any distributions to employees or shareholders then get taxed on that person's individual tax return. So what I call an LLC is like if a sole proprietorship and a corporation had a baby, that would be an LLC. (laughs) Because an LLC was really designed to kind of take advantage of best of both. So as an LLC, you have that protection against personal liability that a corporation offers, but then you have the option of electing to be taxed on your personal tax returns or being taxed as like a corporation would. Hmm. So I am not a tax professional, but those are just some things that you need to be considering and having those conversations with your tax professional or tax advisor on a regular basis to see how you can utilize that in order to minimize your tax obligations. Yeah. You said something really, really important there that jumped out for me too. And that as far as like having a board of advisors, you know, having a bookkeeper, having a CPA, having a, a lawyer that you can ask questions about, you know, maybe a financial planner. You know, I'll be honest with you, as I was talking about taking a while to get the legal side squared away, man, it took me a little over three years to finally get to a point where I was happy with the level of bookkeep. Like I'd found a bookkeeper that that worked well for me. I'd found a CPA that worked well for me and a financial advisor and stuff. And lawyer, I look at this as my, as you were talking about, as my board of advisors. And and this is something I really don't, I haven't really talked a whole lot about, not for any reason or anything like that, but it was just a real process. So, you know, guys, everybody who's listening, what Annette's talking about here, this is not something that you have to have all figured out out, you know, in the first six months of what you're doing, this is something to be making sure that you're thinking about and, you know, trying to set the business up that you have in the best way possible to protect yourself in the most advantageous way possible. But just just know that it's a process and it can take some time here. Yeah. And I don't I'm really not into like the fear tactic at all. But I really just want to emphasize that in this situation, ignorance is not a defense, unfortunately. And so if you can't go to, I don't know, the IRS and be like, well, I didn't know. And they'll be like, oh, it's okay. Okay. You didn't know. We'll give you a pass. (laughs) Like they don't see it that way. You know, when you take on the responsibility of running a business, you take on a lot of obligations. And some of this is 
the legal stuff. And you're not expected to know everything, but you're expected to take care of it and find and work with the people who can help you. So, but I get you, Rick. I can't tell you how many people tell me have basically had the story you've had. It's like once the business really starts picking up speed, they're like, holy moly, I need to go back and do what I should have done from day one. (laughs) Yeah. And and I'm not saying I wasn't trying to say like, oh, just kind of go with it. And, you know, in time, you'll figure things out. I think it I think for me, it was more of a process to kind of get to the point where I was really happy with the people who were, quote unquote, in my corner. And I was Mm. like, you know what? I'm getting good advice. They're responding to me. They get what I'm doing. You know, and and everybody I work with on my quote unquote board of advisors all specialize in working with entrepreneurs. And so, you know, and that sort of leads me to sort of my final question here that I want to talk about is that when somebody's looking to work with a lawyer on, on all the different things that we're talking about here today, what are some of those questions that they should be asking them to sort of weed out people to try to figure out who might be a good fit to work with? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think it's like a lot of other people that you work with. You want to know what kind of experience they have. Do they have experience in the line of work that you're in, the issue that you're facing? So lawyers have specialties, So just like a doctor would. So if you have a heart condition, you're not going to go to a foot doctor because even though a doctor has a general understanding of the body and how it works, like he doesn't understand or she doesn't understand, I mean, she doesn't specialize in cardiology. So you go to a cardiologist. So it's like that with lawyers. So if you have a divorce case, yeah, I kind of get how that works, but it's not what I do day to day. So that's what you want to do. You want to know, okay, well, what do I need? Does this person have experience in it? And if they don't, maybe they know somebody who they can refer you to. You want to get obviously recommendations from people that you've are in your own space. And you want to understand also what, how they charge. So most lawyers charge on an hourly basis. That's kind of how things generally work. And I know that can be really scary for entrepreneurs, but some lawyers who get entrepreneurs will charge a flat fee. So they'll say, okay, you have this project. I can do it for you for X dollars. So no matter how long it takes me, it's only going to cost you X dollars. So you want to get a good sense of what does the fee structure look like and kind of negotiate that with them in a way that works for you if you can. And finally, you want to see where they're licensed to practice. So there's some issues that are state specific. And so lawyers can only give you advice on that state's laws in which they are authorized to practice law. So for instance, I'm authorized to practice law in California, so I can only advise on California law. There are some things like federal issues like copyrights and trademarks that people can give you advice on regardless of where they are authorized to practice law. Mm. So just to make things more complicated. (laughs) So, you know, so if you know, I have clients who might have a business in California, but they're starting to open a business in Oregon. Well, I can't technically advise them on Oregon's laws. So they need to associate with counsel in Oregon to advise on that. State's laws. Okay. So those are kind of the big things is, you know, what's their experience? What kind of law do they practice? How do they charge? Does that work for you? And where are they licensed to practice? Got it. Okay. And you mentioned too, and I just want to sort of make sure that we're very clear on this and sort of caveating this discussion is that a lot of this discussion has to do with within the United States. You know, I've got listeners from all over the world and this stuff's going to vary from country to country. Am I, am I right? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. 
And so it would be very hard to, I mean, all within an episode here, it'd be almost impossible to talk about, you know, what we're talking about here from country to country to country. So just to be clear on that, the stuff that we're talking about here, we're talking about within the U.S. Am I missing anything there? A disclaimer, this episode is for your informational and educational purposes only. If you ever have any specific questions, please advise an attorney authorized to practice law in your jurisdiction. Did you just read that from somewhere? That's got to be like in your head. (laughs) It's in my head. It's in my head. Yes. Well, thank you for Uh saying that. (laughs) You're so welcome. I'll email it to you too. (laughs) Okay, cool. Well, I feel covered now too with this episode. Annette, this has been so great. We've covered a lot of different stuff. As I mentioned to you but right before we got uh, recording this, I wasn't really sure what direction that we were going to go. I knew I wanted to cover some specific things, but I'm so glad that we covered the things that we did here today because as I mentioned before, and as we've talked about quite a bit, this is stuff that a lot of people don't think about necessarily, but I mean, is really in reality things that they need to be thinking about when it comes to their paid traffic, when it comes to their business and their products that they're selling and so forth. So thank you so much for all the information here. I want to make sure that people can connect with you, get more information from you. You mentioned earlier that you've got templates and stuff like that. We we're talking about privacy policies in terms of service and stuff like that. Where can people uh, connect with you? Absolutely. Thank you so much. They can find me over on my website and my name is really long. So hopefully we can include this in the show notes yeah, but for sure. at AnnetteStepanian.com. And on the website, you can find a whole bunch of resources, including my podcast, where I answer frequently asked questions about the law, as well as the contract templates, other trainings, and then one-on-one services as well. Awesome. I'm going to spell that out for people. It's A-N-N. And you, I think, <laughs> I, actually, why don't you spell it, Annette? I think I have it yeah. right. <laughs> okay. It's A-N-N. E T T E S as in Sam T E P A N I A N dot com. I had it right. Okay, cool. I'll be sure to link that up in the show notes for the episode also. So Annette, thank you again so much for coming on here. Really, really appreciate it. You're so welcome. Thanks so much, Rick. All right. Hope you got a lot out of this one with Annette today. Again, I've linked up her site in the show notes for today's episode, which is over at rickmulready.com forward slash 127. If you are liking the podcast here and you've not yet left a quick, honest rating and review for the show over on iTunes, please show your support for the show by taking a second to do that. It's a huge help. It literally takes about 30 seconds to do it. So just go to iTunes, type in the art of paid traffic, click on ratings and reviews, and you can leave your honest rating and review right there. Really appreciate it in advance for doing that. Thank you so much for listening today. Appreciate that as well. I've got a lot of great episodes coming your way in the coming weeks. So until then, keep testing your paid traffic to find out what works for you and your business and then do more of what's working. And I'll see you in the next episode. Do you want to avoid the seven biggest mistakes that burn through course creators' ad money? I see these over and over and over again, and I put them together in a mini email series. This is not fluff. Each of the seven mistakes, I also have a recorded video tutorial showing you inside of Facebook Ad Manager how to fix those mistakes. This is good, solid, and it will save you money or help you make more money with your Facebook ads. Click down in the show notes below. You'll see the link and you can go download it right now for free.